In the John chapter one, or sorry, John chapter two, we're told the story about a wedding. And weddings are memorable occasions. And you have probably been at a wedding that really stands out to you. And I, and I think the reason why maybe they stand out is at weddings, we typically wear clothes we don't normally wear. And a group of people that has never been together before and will probably never be together ever again comes together. And we use formal language and formal words that we haven't used before. There's just a lot of different things that happen at weddings. I was remembering, and and you might have a story like this, I was remembering a wedding that I went to a couple of years ago in a different city, and we went and did the formal wedding thing, and then afterwards we went to the reception. So we drove across town, and we got to the reception, went to this very nice reception hall, and we walked in, and I was actually a groomsman at this wedding, and we, we sat down, and there was peculiar, strangely, there was things missing. There was no beverages. There was nothing on the tables. There was no food. And finally, one of the bridesmaids showed up and she had a case of Coca-Cola. And she opened it up and started handing a can of Coke to whoever wanted it. Now, there's over a hundred people in the room, so you didn't even want to take her Coke because what if it's somebody else might want it? You couldn't take it. And then later, another bridesmaid showed up with a case of water, but a, the case of water was still in the plastic wrap with the cardboard. You know what I'm describing, right? So she's walking around with these bottles, and this is like really weird. And then this is the day I learned about chargers. Do you know what a charger is? Okay, a charger is a pl- well, it looks like a plate, but it's not a plate. You put it on the, the table, and then you put the real plate on top of it. Well, they had a pack of about 12 chargers. They had no plates, they had no silverware, but they had 12 chargers, and they set on like two of the tables, they set these chargers out, and that's it. And it said right on the back, not for food use, do not put food on this table. All right, finally the food did arrive. They they found some food from the rehearsal dinner from a couple nights before, and they served it out of styrofoam containers. All right, does anybody feel awkward at this moment? Like, if you're in the room, you're like, what? What? What's going on here? And that's exactly, that's exactly what happened. Um, well, maybe not exactly. It's similar to what happened in John chapter 2, where there's some planning issue. We don't know exactly what happened, but there's, there's something going on. I would invite you to turn to John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. We're going to be looking at that this morning. And if you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can find out about what's going on there with that um, in there. I'll be reading from John. Oh, there's Patty. Good, you're here, Patty. Come on up. Patty's going to read the story for us. And we'll have it. So I would invite you to turn there. I think this is on. You can read down there, up there. Would you stand for the reading of God's word, please? The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Woman, that is not our problem, Jesus replied. 
My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone jars for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill those jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of the ceremony. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of the ceremonies tasted the water that now was wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when, the ex that when everyone's had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time that Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Thanks, Patty. You may be seated. So we're taken to this wedding. And based on my speculation alone, not that I read this in any commentary, I imagine this could have been Peter's wedding. Now, don't go home saying, Pastor Joe is making up stuff about the Bible. This is not the Bible. This is just my own thoughts. But this is where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you there. And it, it helps me picture maybe a little the emotion that may have been going on in the scene. So why do I think Peter's wedding? Well, we know Peter was from Galilee. He was a fisherman from the Sea of Galilee. And this wedding happened at Cana, which is right near there. We know he was married because early on in Mark chapter 1, we're told that Jesus healed his mother-in-law um, in Capernaum, which would have been just a couple miles away. So it, it could have made sense that this, you know, the, the, geogra the geography fits. But the reason they ran out of wine definitely helps me think this could have been his wedding. Peter was an impetuous person. He would talk and then he would think. Maybe you know this kind of person. So I can just imagine Peter was so excited about his big day coming up. So he went to his fishing buddies and he said, you know what, I'm getting married and you ought to come. And then he went to the people that fixed his nets and said, you're never going to believe this. I'm getting married. Would you please come to my wedding? It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. We're going to have a party. And then he went to the synagogue on a Saturday. They had their, and then afterwards, you know, they had their Connection Cafe. And he told everybody at Connection Cafe, you've got to come to my wedding. It's just a couple of weeks away. And of course, because he's Peter, he didn't think everything through. He didn't bother to tell his fiance. And so the big day shows up and everybody came because Peter was a popular guy probably Everybody showed up to his wedding, and they ran out of wine. Oof. Mary, Jesus' mother, sees what's going on, and she invites Jesus into helping with the situation. And what happens next at a wedding, much, maybe like the wedding you went to that you remember that certain thing happening, we're still talking about 2,000 years later. We're, we're talking about the life-giving God here at Bethany Church. We're going through the Gospel of John. And John wrote this Gospel near the end of his life. And it's almost as if he, 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 at the end of his life, he could look back into what had happened and he said, I, this is the important thing that happened. Now, certainly there's many things that happened. And we're told even, he, he wrote uh, one time, 
if everybody wrote down everything that Jesus did, you could write way more. But he picked out just the very important, the very key, the very most important moments. And this was the first sign. This is the first time. This is, the, this is like the moment it's like, oh, this is what Jesus is about. And he doesn't want us to miss this. He doesn't want us to miss this very, very key thing. If you're going to know who, if you're going to know who Jesus is, this is what you might know most. Our world is trapped. Our world is trapped in thinking and seeking the wrong things. It's hurting, and yet the, the help that is most needed is available. Jesus wants to give people life. But people are caught in these traps, and there's no apparent way out. We're at a wedding with hundreds of guests, and there's no refreshments available. You're like me. At, at a, if the food has not been ordered before that day, what would you do? I, I don't run to 7-Eleven and buy some Slurpees? I mean, nothing's going to work. What can you do at that moment? There's nothing you can do. And many of us are in that place. In some ways, we're in this impossible place. We're trapped, perhaps, by something. And there is no reasonable way out of it. What could possibly set us free? And there's at least two traps that I think John points to in this passage, but he also, and this is the important thing, he points to how Jesus can set people free. So if you have a program, I would invite you to just follow along with me this morning. I hope that this helps all of us take the next step in our faith journey, but trap number one could be popular opinion, popular opinion. John 2, 3 and 4 says, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. So Mary, probably I'm I'm imagining a very organized woman. She has her stuff in a row. She's not mother of the bride, I'm thinking. She's just there. But she realizes the awkward problem that is unfolding in front of her. And she's like, I can't let my friends, I can just imagine this is her good friend, you know, her, maybe her daughter's wedding, and oh, Peter, why did he? And it's, 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 it's just falling out in front of her, and she doesn't want this family to be ostracized. She doesn't want them to be humiliated. And yet Jesus' response is, is surprising. It's almost shocking. What does this have to do with me? So what's that all about? I looked, I, I looked into this and I was like, I was trying to figure out what this could have meant. And this little phrase, what does this have to do with me, is an idiom. We might say for, you know, just like an idiom we, we use today is, it is what it is. They had this phrase, this saying, it's used four times, this exact phrase, this exact use of words is strung together. It's used four times outside of this in the Gospels. And Word for word, you, you might say it, what to me and to you. What to me and to you. It's basically saying, I'm not involved in this situation. Why are you bringing me into it? If, if you're very offended, a person might say, this is not my business. Just back off. 
That's like the harsh way. The, the, and probably the more way it's, probably Jesus is probably using it is more like, I didn't get in, I didn't start this situation. I'm not involved with it. Don't involve me. The train wreck is about to happen. I didn't cause it. I didn't make it. Don't bring me into this. Why should I necessarily help them? It, 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 what Jesus is saying, it implies disengagement. I am not hopping on your crazy train. What Jesus saw in this situation was something that I believe he was not going to perpetuate the keeping up with appearances that the people that Mary and this family were about to go through. And he knows this, and it's a problem, it's a trap from back then, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a problem we've had ever since we are caught up into what people think. We are caught up into popular opinion. And he would not be doing his mission as Savior of the world if he propped up that thinking process and that line of reasoning. He did not come to make people look good in front of other people. Jesus came to set us free from popular opinion. Our world is trapped with people longing for value from others. For what people might think of us to give us our value and make us feel okay about us. And and we can see it in front of us all the time right now. I would say most of our political leaders, at least it seems like, are driven by opinion polls. Not by this is right and this is just. Whatever is popular at the moment, that is what they might decide. But it's not just, say, in Washington, D.C. It happens right here. If, if we have a social media account, we, we think that how many likes or how many people said something about our post is significant about who we are. When we all know it's not true, but we, we think that. Or you don't even need a smartphone for this. We know people, and maybe this is us sometimes, We struggle because we so want our spouse to think of us in a certain way that we do things for their acknowledgement or their treatment. Or maybe um, our parents, they might not even be alive anymore, but we, we want our parents so to think of us, you know, like we honored them, that we can only do, we do things, not, not because it's the right thing, but because we want our parents or what we think our parents would have liked. Or maybe we want respect from our neighbors, or maybe our our boss, we want that certain something. Whatever it is, we seek acknowledgement and our value from this world around us to recognize our own value. And Jesus does not want to step in and perpetuate or continue this view. If we are inviting Jesus into our lives so that we can look better or feel better about ourselves, I think Jesus might say this, what me to you, why do you, okay, why do you want me into your life? What, I'm, I'm not joining your life. If that's what you're looking for, I'm not joining you. Does that mean Jesus doesn't want to join in? Does that mean Jesus is saying, no, I don't want to be part of weddings? I don't want to be a part of people's lives? I, I, John is, is saying, if you're inviting Jesus in so that you, you know, have this certain value or certain look or certain placement in society, I I can't join with you on that. I won't. He's not our genie in a bottle to make us look good, to win an opinion poll. 
He came to set people free from all that. But John identifies another trap. It's the rules, the rules that people make. So trap number two is the rules that are all around us. Jewish literature has a, a structure to it many, many times. Uh, when we write, it's usually the first verse and the last verse, or the first thought and the last thought that has maybe the most weight. But many times for Jewish literature, it's that, it's that middle, middle thought that might be the most important. And right in the middle of this, there's some words. It says, John 2, verse 6, <coughs> Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. What's the story about these jugs? Why? Okay, Jesus could have, or John, when he's recording the story, could have said, and Jesus found some water. Or he sent some people and they fetched some water for him. Or they got some jugs and they, no, they were specifically known. These were the ceremonial washing jugs for this certain rite. So, a little bit of background, a little bit of history. The Jewish people had the Torah, they had the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And these are the ways that they were supposed to live. But to help people understand, and it was, I, I'm sure it was written or uh, told all with good purpose, they had an oral tradition that they held in equal esteem. And it helped them clarify and understand, this is how to live out that written law. So it had all these oral traditions. And it happened around the Babylonian captivity, if you know your Bible history. All right? So that's when the oral tradition really started growing. And in Jesus' day, there was this full bloom, this oral tradition. They had all these things. Among them was, and it was probably meant, again, with good reason, these ceremonial washing jars. There's so many ways you could get unclean in your life. You'd keep these ceremonial washing jars around. And with all these people around for, for this big occasion, they needed lots of water at this, at this occasion, all right? So everybody could, you know, be clean and be okay with being around each other. And Jesus absolutely hijacks the whole situation. He uses what is supposed to be washing jars to turn that into wine. Think, of, think about it. If you're going up there to get your hands washed, at the ceremonial washing jars, and you get close, and you're like, that's, that's not water. That's something different. I can't use this to wash my hands. This is something different. And what he was doing is, he was, he was saying, your rules, I don't think he's saying your rules are awful or terrible, but, but it was the rules getting in the way of the relationship. Why, why do people go to weddings? Why, why are we there? Free well, free drinks. There we go. There's something about that too. And I was thinking about that today. It's like, oh my goodness, we're Baptists and we're talking about alcohol at church. How is this going to fly? But you know, there's a, I could tell you later on if you want to hear a joke. I'll tell you a joke about Baptists and alcohol. But that's not for here, all right? Um, focus. We're going to focus this morning. All right. Um, what Jesus was really doing is he was hijacking the system and having it go just a, a different way. The wedding was there to bring two lives together. It was about relationship. And why do you even have wine? Why, why do people have refreshments and maybe alcohol even at weddings? 
It's to celebrate. It's to bring. It's a joyous occasion and bring people together. Why was the water there? It was nothing wrong about it, but the, the point was God did this. I don't think it's, it's, it's an accident at all that this happened at a wedding, at the reception, with wine, because he was all about, from the very get-go, about relationship. He was about people coming together. And these purification jars, maybe, maybe by removing that, it allowed people to finally really celebrate and enjoy what he was all about. Relationship. Jesus sets people free from people's rules. As people, we like our boxes checked. We like knowing that this is the order of things and this is the way we do them and if we did all them, then we know it's okay. But is, and correct me, you, know, you, might, you maybe can think of a situation, but is there a relationship in this world that is based on checking boxes and making sure you did all the things. Now, certainly we do certain things and we know it works better in a relationship, but is it about I was here at this time, I was there at this, and that because of me doing those certain things, my relationship is now right? No, it doesn't work that way. Our God is a God of justice. Our God is a God of peace. He, he created things to be and certain things to happen to happen, but his ultimate goal is not just peace and justice. His goal is to have a relationship with people. I've been following a story in Texas, and I'm sure you've seen this video. It's amazing. If you get a chance to watch it later, I would encourage you to do so. There's a man, an 18-year-old man, so almost a boy. There's an 18-year-old man that completely hijacked much like Jesus did at this wedding, a totally different way of things were going. There's a, apparently a cop, a white cop that came home from a long shift. She went to her apartment. It was one of these complexes that every floor is the same. She got off on the wrong floor. Her name's Amber. Amber came home. She went to the wrong floor, and she went to what she thought was her apartment. It wasn't her apartment. She walked in to what she thought was her apartment, and lo and behold, there was a man who happened to be black sitting eating ice cream in his living room. You've heard the story, right? She goes in. She's surprised. She tells him, you know, they had some kind of altercation. She pulls her, her service revolver or something and shoots and kills this man. It's terrible. It's tragic in so many ways. And the world is watching and everybody wants justice to happen. And there's so many themes. That, like, if you want to talk about gun control, this story's God. If you want to talk about race, this story's God. If you want to talk about blue lives matter, this story has it. Everybody is watching this one case. How will justice happen? And she is convicted of murder. Now, I'm not here to say it was right or wrong. I don't, I didn't, I don't know the facts. It just This is the story that happened. She's convicted of murder, and then at the sentencing phase, they invite different victim statements, people to come up, and the, the victim's brother, his name's Brant, he's 18 years old, comes up, and on the witness stand, he does something that blows everybody away. He, 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 is, he goes in front of the, everyone there, and he tells this cop, this woman, this person that murdered his brother, in, in so many words, you are forgiven. It's crazy. 
So everybody was wanting justice or she needs to go to jail. Can she ever go to jail long enough to pay for that? She can't. And think about this. If any of you were at that trial, if any of you, even if you thought these thoughts, can you offer that forgiveness to that woman? Can anybody in this room today offer forgiveness to that woman? I don't think so. You you can't. Can't be done. There's this Old Testament philosophy, this Old Testament, and I don't know if that's what Brant was thinking, but the blood avenger, the only person that could forgive her was the one that had been offended, the family member that was offended. He was the only one that could do this. And even if she would go to prison for years, nothing would pay this back. And yet she could be set free. And that's what happened in that moment. The blood avenger released her. And he, he even went a step further. He said, and the one thing my, my brother would want more than anything is for you to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. What he understood that the world is missing in so many ways is justice does not exist on this earth. It can't happen. Gun control will not fix everything. Mental health will not fix everything. The, the, what this lady needs more than anything, and whether she, and I, I'm telling you right now, I'm not sure what she decided to do with that, but if she accepts that forgiveness and she brings Jesus into her life, whether or not she goes to jail or not, she's more free today than she ever was in her life. Now, here's the crazy thing. He, he goes one step further, and you, if you've seen the video, it's powerful. He, he goes to the judge, can I give this lady a hug? Oh, my word. So he steps, he, she, he, he's granted permission, he goes down and gives this lady a hug. And it's not just like a little pat-pat, it's like a full-on embrace. It's, it's obvious from watching, it's like this is not just words, this is, he means everything behind what he just did. The parallels between our faith and what happened there came alive to me so well. Like, this is the way I, I, I couldn't help but look at this and think, this is what Jesus does. How many times would he go, when he was, you know, meeting up with people, he would go, your sins are forgiven. People needed to be set free, so we'd release them. And then after that, many times he would do what? He would do a miracle. But... He always tied it to what first? The freedom, the the relationship being restored. So the protests are probably still continuing for a week sentence. And I'm not here to, I don't know what it should have been. The judge um, was condemned because she also hugged the person. And I don't know if that should have happened or not. I don't know. But what what Brant did that day is he just hijacked the whole entire wedding, he, or not the wedding, he hijacked the entire trial. He basically said, this is where freedom is found for this woman and for everyone. And our Jesus did the same thing at a wedding for us today. Freedom is for believers. John chapter 2, verse 11 says, this is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana and Galilee, manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. John is showing us, he's describing for us, he's bringing us right to the very scene, he's bringing us right into the wedding, he's bringing us right into the reception saying, we can believe in that same 
Jesus. We can be set free. There's a trap of thinking, I gotta be, I gotta impress my neighbors. I gotta look good for these people. I gotta wear this certain. I've gotta be this certain. I gotta earn this certain. And he's saying, nope. Nope, that's not very evil or wrong, but that's not what our focus is. He's, it's not about making sure the boxes of religion and getting justice, those things are not evil, but that's not what the end goal is about. It's a relationship, and it's not going to be tied to either of those things. Freedom. It came to his disciples that day. We can, we can jump off this train, this train where I have to be a certain thing for certain people. I can jump off this train. I have to check off my boxes. Jesus purposely came on earth to upset all the rules. Think about it. When John, when John wrote this story, he, he thought he was at the end of his life. He looked back on, on his life. and he, he, he was th- I can just imagine, what should I tell these people? When did it really change for you? When did it start to come alive? When did my life with... Jesus really started to change. He thought, it was at that wedding. That's when we started, what me to you, he was not going to make these people look good at the wedding because if he would have, they would have continued down this wrong path. And he on purpose used ceremonial, you'll never believe it, I can just imagine, you'll never believe what he used to turn water in. He used the ceremonial washing jars of all the things he could have used because he didn't want people to be caught up in that. Why? Because he wants a relationship. Can you imagine? And, and I, I, 95% of the people there that day missed it. Well, maybe, I don't know that. I'm making that up. I don't know about that. But the, the people that believed were the disciples. They caught it. They understood it. Who saw it? The servants. The people, the least of these, they picked up on it. What Jesus do we believe in? The one that will fix things so that we will look right for others? Do we believe in the Jesus that expects us to fulfill certain obligations? Or this Jesus that says, you are forgiven and you need forgiveness. You can have a relationship with me. People are about to discover life when they believe in Jesus. Will we? Dear Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, so much that you offer your life, your forgiveness. You offer all these things. And many times you hijack the very places and and things we're in to point us in a new and bright direction. I pray that you do that even today. You would hijack our thoughts, hijack our lives, point us in the direction that we need to be so that we can have a real relationship with you, the one that you've always intended. In Jesus' name, amen.